From Boston University and BU Alumni Relations, welcome to Proud to Be You Around the World. I'm your host, Jeff Murphy, and this season, we're taking the podcast on the road to meet some of our most interesting and accomplished alumni navigating life and careers in cities across the globe. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome guest host Gabe Bolio back to the podcast. Gabe's my colleague here in the alumni office, and he's working to build industry and workplace networks for our alumni in Boston and beyond. He's also a fellow Terrier, having earned a master's degree from Metropolitan College in 2016. Gabe, thanks again for being part of Proud to Be You. Take it away. Thanks, Jeff. My guest today is Alex Tongay. Alex is a senior vice president and wealth management advisor at Merrill Lynch Wealth Management in Boston. Alex earned his bachelor's degree from the Questrom School of Business in 2002 and went on to build a successful career in the financial services industry. He was recently named one of Forbes' top next-gen wealth advisors under 40, and he joined me on the podcast to reflect on his journey thus far. Just a note before we get started, our conversation was recorded back in February 2020, so please keep that in mind as you listen to our discussion on the state of the global economy. We understand that in the weeks since this interview, the world has fundamentally changed in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, and our thoughts are with all of those affected by this crisis. Thanks so much for coming down to the studio here at Calm today, Alex. It's great to have you on the Proud to Be You podcast. Well, thanks for having me. First, I thought we could start by you know talking about where you came from and, and how you found your way to be you. Yeah, so I'm originally from Cape Cod, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, so not too far. I grew up in Yarmouth, and I came to BU in 1998. I applied because I wanted to be in a big urban environment. I always loved coming to the city, and that was really attractive to me. And BU gave me a massive merit scholarship, so it made it pretty easy in the eyes of my parents for me to uh, to decide to come here. We were, you know, kind of blue collar family, so it was uh, pretty material. What did you study here while you were at BU? Uh, I was Questrom, the business administration with concentration in finance. Yeah, oh, cool. Where did that interest come from? You know, it was interesting. I actually applied bio in CAS with the thinking of going into pre-med, and that's what I applied and got accepted to at Boston University. But my senior year in high school, I took a business class. I also took AP bio, and I quickly realized that I didn't have the love that I probably should have if I was going to commit to being, you know, pre-med. Conversely, I really loved my business class, and I completely fell in love with business. And I also uh, did a lot of you know work with my dad, who was in construction, and my brother and whatnot. And I realized I uh, I definitely wanted to go the white collar work after hanging construction and you know roofing and all those types of things. So I definitely found an interest in business, and so I ended up switching uh, that summer before I came to BU. While you were here as a student, you know, what was your experience like? Were you involved in extracurricular activities or how did you find community on campus? I think I found community really in uh, in two ways. One was since I was in Questrom, you know, that kind of takes the large uh, urban, you know, university and bring it down to a small local college. And so still to this day, a lot of my friends were in Questrom because of the time spent there and the teaming and projects and late nights and all of that. So that was definitely one way that BU felt very small for me. And the other was I actually did Greek life and I was in a fraternity. I know everybody has different opinions on Greek life, but it was absolutely phenomenal for me. It was a great group of guys and I really connected with them. And still to this day, you know, some of my groomsmen were, you know, from my first semester pledge class uh, when I was at, at BU. And that also made it very small for me as well and was a, a great positive experience for me. That's great. Yeah, I love those connections, uh, especially those lifelong friendships that forge. Um, None of us get here on our own. Do you have mentors that have helped guide you along the way? 
Absolutely. You know, when I think about my time at BU, I think about uh, one of my favorite professors, uh, Professor Michael, who was my corporate finance professor. And, you know, one of the things he did was he would use the Socratic method and call on undergrads and uh, all of us about stories of the day in the Wall Street Journal and Financial Times. And so that really started forcing me to read the newspaper and at least, you know, the business newspapers on a daily basis. And I literally have carried that with me to this day. You know, I, I went into the business, but what was great about him is that he would put, and we would argue over the stories of the day, and but he would also put it in a business context and also more importantly, a uh, an economic context in the micro and macro economic implications and, and incentives driving some of these decisions behind the numbers that we were looking at uh, from you know an academic standpoint. So that was really something that really struck me and, and allowed me to learn to uh, you know look at the incentives uh, with business and was absolutely terrific. And he was a uh, he was a great mentor for sure. So after you graduated, uh, you know, tell us what you ended up uh, doing for your first job and, and kind of the pathway that you took to to find that. So when I was an undergrad, I, you know, they always talk about getting internships and things like that. And I really had no, um, you know, family connections to rely on or, or anything like that. So I literally opened up a phone book back when there were still phone books uh, <laughs> in the late 90s. And I literally created a list of all the financial services companies that were in the local kind of city where I grew up uh, in uh, called Hyannis, the, the next town over. And... I just I sent my resume and cover letter and and followed up you know with phone calls and kind of harassed these these companies and ended up getting a uh, an internship between my sophomore and junior year that summer and that internship gave me the confidence to apply to financial firms in Boston between my junior and senior year and I ended up landing a internship in Boston and so that really led to my first job. They offered me a job upon graduation, and that was in 2002. The stock market was not doing well. The market in general wasn't doing well. The economy wasn't doing well. And so, you know, I was pretty fortunate to have that opportunity, and, and that is, is what I continue to do to this day. I've gone on and had, you know, different roles, ultimately becoming an advisor after several years, but that got me into this business and I never left, so pretty fortunate to uh, to find it early and, and find a career that I that I loved, and you know, just built on it ever since. And you knew you wanted to stay in the Boston metro area. I wasn't sure. I'd looked at moving to New York City because obviously there's a lot of finance jobs there. But you know, for me, the opportunity ended up being in Boston. And you know, the more I spent time here as a working professional, the more that I enjoyed it and loved it. And you know, you ended up putting down roots, and and so now I you know, could never see myself leaving. What advice would you give folks, you know, as they're kind of transitioning from one job to the next? Do you have things that in looking back, you wish you had known then that, you know, now seem very clear? When I was at CIBC Oppenheimer, there was my manager who took a liking to me and and was impressed with my work. And I became friendly with her. And she was great. Beth Foynes, she was awesome. And, you know, we were chatting and, and I said I was looking for some other opportunities. And she connected me with a friend of hers at UBS. So the biggest thing is, especially early in your career, I think, you know, working hard and being an employee, but also spending time outside of the office and forming connections with people, uh, especially people that like you and that can be an advocate for you and, and look out for you. And she was definitely, you know, a mentor for me at, at a young age. And she was able to help me land my my next job. And so I'd 
always very thankful for that. And that ultimately led me to UBS. And I hooked up with a, a gentleman there by the name of David Barkham, who was running a team. And I ended up joining his group. And gosh, about 18 years later, we're, uh, we're still you know working together. So I started with him as a client associate and then became an analyst and then became a, uh, an advisor. And then I've just built on that ever since. From there, you went to Merrill Lynch. You've been at Merrill Lynch for about eight years now, is that right? Came over in 2008, so and there are now almost 12 years. That's great. So what advice do you have for folks who, like you, have a good tenure in a company and are trying to keep it fresh? What do you do to make each day exciting or to think about the next steps? You know, when I came into Merrill Lynch, I was an advisor, and then I became an assistant vice president, then vice president, then first vice president, then senior vice president. So, you know, there's been different levels of, you know, titles and achievement. And so I've always kind of focused on on the next one, setting individual personal goals at work and, you know, short, intermediate, and long-term goals at work. You know, I think that has always kept it fresh where, you know, I kind of bring it down to what do I need to do today? What do I need to do this week? What do I need to do this month to get to where I want to be? And I've always set goals personally and professionally. And so, you know, with professionally, I think that's how I keep it fresh where, you know, if I'm always measuring myself against those those goals and establishing new ones, it doesn't feel like it's, you know, you feel like you're always moving forward and, and you don't feel like it's it's kind of static. Well, I, I know that you love what you do, um, and the, I think the proof is in the pudding. Uh, Forbes recently um, listed you in the top 250 next-generation wealth advisors. So congratulations. That's a pretty awesome uh, accolade. Thank you. Um, can you tell me more about that? Like, did you know how did they contact you, and you know what was that whole process like? Yeah. So I um, I was not as as you pointed out. I, I achieved that last year, and um, you know, I was very fortunate. You have to be nominated by your firm, and so that in itself is a uh, is an honor. Uh, so I was very fortunate to be honor, uh, nominated by Merrill Lynch. And Forbes looks at uh, quantitative and qualitative measures, so they're looking at you know your numbers and revenue and all those different things uh, quant- uh, quantitatively from our industry. And then they also do interviews. They interview uh, your superior, your colleagues. They interview. Uh, clients, um, and then they, based on their, you know, matrix, if you will, they uh, they come up with that ranking. So it's a top 250 advisors under 40. So I just just squeaked in, and um, it was an honor. I have a great team at at work, and you know, I was fortunate to um, to be a part of it, and you know, we uh, we continue to build. So it was really a function of all of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I also, um, I took a closer look at the list. And, and the thing that I think is not so obvious when you look at it is there are only 12 people from Massachusetts out of those 250 folks. So, you know, again, I think that's a, a, a pretty nice feather in your cap. So congrats. Thank you. That BU education paying off. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd like to turn a little bit to finance in general and the market. So we're at a really interesting time where it seems like every news story is about, are we going into a recession? How do you think about this, you know, looking forward? You know, where do you see the the market heading and what keeps you up at night thinking about this? Yeah, so I think there's kind of two parts, I guess, one, you know, my industry and then the other, you know, the market in general. And I guess, uh, economically speaking. So, you know, with our industry, I think we're in a bull market for advice. And a lot of baby boomers are either at or approaching retirement. And many of them have spent their careers plowing money into their 401k, which was really only invented, what, I think in the 19, early 1970s. So, you know, they're they're at a tipping point where there's a tremendous amount of money in, uh, in motion with uh, retirement accounts and people just in general who have saved and they need help. You know, they're looking to 
see how to navigate that next chapter. And, you know, they're looking at things like estate planning and philanthropic giving and just in general, you know, having help with that. And so there's a, a large demand for advice. And unfortunately, with our industry, uh, they haven't been able to keep up in terms of new advisors entering into the industry. So there's definitely a lower supply and higher demand. So, you know, there's a little bit of a mismatch there. So I, I think it will definitely, um, you know, uh, have more pressure for growth um, in our industry. And, and there's definitely a huge opportunity to continue, you know, wealth management in the United States to continue to grow at a, uh, at a rapid clip for many, many years. Um, in terms of what keeps me up at night, you know, I guess economically speaking, you know, I would say the federal deficit and, uh, you know, the budget deficit within the United States, it's a large problem that will have to be addressed at some point. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, our collective political leaders, um, you know, really don't have the political will to address it now. Um, you know, I think they won't address it until it's, it gets to a crisis point, uh, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, I think that's what, what keeps me up at night. Um, you know, in terms of the market in general, um, I really believe in the power of uh, the United States and, and the innovation uh, in this country. And people have lost a lot of money betting against the United States. And, you know, there's always going to be a reason to not invest. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'd say I'm more of a glass half full type of guy where I really, you know, walking around campus, you, you can see the energy and the buzz and the, you know, pick up Bostonia and you see the advancements and just the research that's going on in our university. And you multiply that across the entire United States and the multiplier effect and gives me a lot of hope um, that while there are problems, there's always going to be problems. You know, there's a lot of um, great and exceptionally bright and motivated people in this country and many of them coming out of our university. And, you know, that gives me a lot of hope and, uh, and optimism. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's a, a lot, uh, um, a lot of ways to make money and, uh, and grow in, uh, in the future. So I'm going to throw out some buzzwords, and I'm curious your thoughts on on these things. So big data, AI, blockchain, these are all things that we keep hearing about as being disruptors of the, you know, the financial industry. You know, what are your thoughts? You know, where, where, how is that already affecting the work that you're doing? Or how do you see this, you know, complementing the work that you're doing going forward? Yeah, it's it's just disrupted certain parts of our business. Um you know, maybe on the the low end, uh, you know, certain companies with robo advisors and whatnot, you know, it's less of a threat uh, in what I do because it's really focused on the high net worth space and high net worth individuals don't want to deal with a computer or a call center, um, and especially when they have complex financial lives, that's the last thing they want. Uh, they want someone that will act as a fiduciary in their best interest and be able to look at really all aspects of their financial life and. So, you know, I, I view big data and AI as more of a uh, opportunity and um, something that can enhance our business. And it already has started to do that, making analytical work easier and creating great analytics for clients, um, you know, getting answers, helping them to get answers for very simple tasks and, and, and issues, um, whether it's online or, or um, you know, through a virtual assistant or, you know, what have you. So I, I view it as a an opportunity, uh, something that is will help our industry over time as long as you're willing to adapt, right? So if you are kind of set in your ways and, and refuse to embrace technology and technological change, 
I think that it could be a threat to you, but if you embrace it and view it as an opportunity, I think there's a, a lot a lot of upside there. So Alex, as you're thinking about building a team or, or hiring new talent, what are some of the skills that you look for? I mean, obviously you're looking for aptitude, but that will only get you so far. And there's so many people that have plenty of aptitude, but that's really not what makes people successful. It's really... Uh, once you get that baseline, it's really everything else, and in particular, how they function and work well with a team, um, how they can, their personality really in their attitude is so critical because you can't, you can't teach that, you can't learn that, and so having someone who, you know, uh, is uh, uh, brings positive energy, someone with uh, grit and perseverance, uh, and that can-do attitude and that is willing and has experience working with a team um, and playing well and thriving in a team environment, I think are absolutely critical to uh, certainly our team's success and I think in, in business in general. That's why you see a lot of athletes as well in business. So Alex, I know you've been involved in like 80 million things at BU. Are there certain experiences that stand out in terms of the activities that you're involved in as a volunteer? Uh, my work on the Boston University Alumni Council, I've always been really proud of. You know, I feel like we are the voice for alumni and, and create a great sounding board for the university to draft policy towards the alums and alums towards the, the university and, and being that bridge and, and stakeholder voice. And so, you know, I've really enjoyed that. You know, I met my wife in the Alumni Association, so that obviously was a huge, important milestone and uh in my life, and she's amazing, and you know we're definitely a uh, a big BU family for sure, and you know big supporter of the hockey program. You know it was easy for me to keep going to games when I graduated, and uh, my wife Nicole and I, and now our son Jack, are big Terrier fans, and so we uh, we go to a lot of games. So I I want to come back to the uh, the BU alumni network, and I was wondering if you could kind of talk about the importance of you know these connections between alumni. Um, and how that served you in the past. Yeah. I mean, like I, I kind of almost think of it like a, um, you know, if I think about what I do as, as a uh, the alumni network uh, as a stock and, you know, stocks pay dividends. And as an alum, you can allow those dividends to just accumulate in cash. And, you know, a lot of alums who aren't um, involved, your value of your alumni degree will grow, uh, but it won't grow as fast if you reinvest it, if you take those dividends and reinvest. And I think reinvesting those dividends that the school provides is really uh, key, and, and you get what you put into it. So if you're going to an alumni events, if you're making those connections, if you're meeting new people, you know, you're going to get so much more out of it. You're going to get um, really uh, as much as you put into it. And, you know, by taking those dividends and reinvesting, your entire investment is going to grow a lot faster, and the same thing applies in finance. Um, and so that's kind of how I look at it. And and I've always, uh, you know, BU has paid so many dividends for me professionally and personally, and even going way back to when I got a, uh, a scholarship to go here. So I've always felt such a debt of gratitude to the university, and this is kind of a little bit of of me being able to uh, to pay it forward to others. Well, we really appreciate it, and we know that it's really important, especially um, you know, as we're looking at industries. I know uh, you're also involved with our 
BU Corporate Affinity Network at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. And uh, it's one of the top employers for alumni in Boston. And we know that's really important to create opportunity for people to connect within the company. I guess to kind of wrap things up, I can't thank you enough for everything that you do for BU. Um, you know, we, we know that these connections are invaluable. Our students really appreciate it. And we know that it's helping connect our alumni. So, you know, thanks again uh, so much for all that you do and for coming down to the podcast today. I really enjoyed chatting with you. My pleasure. Same here. Thanks, Gabe. Appreciate it. Go Terriers. Thanks again, Alex, for joining me on the podcast and for all you're doing to help us build a strong alumni network at Merrill and beyond. If you're an alum working at Merrill, Bank of America, or Bank of America Private Bank in Boston and would like to join our workplace network, you can reach me using the link in the show notes of this episode. Nice job, Gabe, and my thanks to Alex as well for being on our podcast, but more importantly, for all he and his family have done for BU over the years. Merrill is one of several networks we're building to unite alumni working at the largest employers of BU talent. Be sure to keep an eye on our website for more information about these groups and all the ways you can connect to the global alumni community. On behalf of everyone on the BU Alumni Relations team, thanks so much for listening to Proud to Be You. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you find your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast.